0: Chris, do you recall we were talking about the World Health Organization. They sparked some debate by adding gaming disorder as a recognized disease. And so we opened up the phone lines and we were asking people if they thought that they were addicted to gaming or if they knew anybody that was. Remember, the most shocking story was that guy that called in, you know, a 640 Toronto listener uh, told us about his mother-in-law. I think she's in her 80s. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, she was spending a ton of cash to update the uh the game to buy extra credits and things like that
1: purchases and everything so and she they eventually got her to stop spending her own money on it but only by buying her gift cards and saying you can only spend what we're giving you to play these games it
0: was the kind of radio where you can't get out of your car i think as a listener because you know a lot of people wouldn't believe this actually happens to the average individual like how can you be addicted to gaming um but Addictions are addictions, and Cam Adair is a guy that we tried to get, um, for you know, on the show. He runs a company called Game Quitters. And he is a former video game addict, and he joins us on the show right now. Uh, Cam, it's good to have you in. I'm happy you could get here in person. Thanks so much for having me. So, what is your personal experience with video game addiction? I was addicted to playing video games
1: for over ten years, and it actually culminated in me being. Uh, bullied in the eighth grade a lot, which caused me to want to escape. And I actually ended up dropping out of high school not once but twice. Never graduated. I was gaming up to sixteen hours a day. Living in my parents' basement. Very depressed. Started pretending to have jobs, deceiving my family. And eventually got to a point where I wrote a suicide note. And that's where I realized I needed to make a change.
0: Wow, this is really serious stuff. I did not. I mean, I just. I'm a little blown away by your your experience. So, were your parents well aware that you were addicted, or were you just so clever at hiding this addiction?
1: It's a mix of both. And so obviously deception is a big warning sign you want to be looking for. But in my experience, it got to a point where, you know, I would pretend to have jobs and they thought I was working, but I was actually at home gaming and I'd sneak in through my window and do all sorts of things. There was obviously a part where they were able to be aware that I was gaming a lot. And for them, they tried different things. They tried to take it away. They, You know, I remember uh, my dad broke the modem one time and, and was very upset, but it's not always that simple. You know, and I have parents who reach out and say, you know, we just took the game away and now they're threatening to commit suicide.
0: Yeah, we played some audio of a kid that was arguing with his mother and he was, I say kid, but he must have been, you know, 19 and he's saying, give the game back. And she says, no, I'm not giving the game back. And he literally starts smashing his head against the wall. Did you feel completely out of control? Were you aware that you were addicted while it was going on?
1: I wouldn't have used the word addicted back then.
0: What would you have said?
1: I just loved the game.
0: What game was it?
1: I played StarCraft. I played World of Warcraft. I played Counter-Strike. And for me, what I realized was there were specific reasons why I was so drawn to games. And that's, you know, for me, I was playing them for specific reasons. To escape, to socially connect, to see measurable progress, and to feel a sense of certainty in my life. And it became an identity. And it's those things as, as to why I gamed. And it wasn't just because games were fun.
0: So how do you differentiate between someone who does play video games for fun and, you know, when you think that you might be coming, you know, becoming an, an addict.
1: The easiest way to decipher between a passion and an addiction is negative impact. So if it's having a negative impact on your life, it's causing you to not work. It's causing you to not go to school. It's causing, you know, major problems in relationships. Then it's something to look at. And there doesn't have to be any shame about it. Just reach out for help.
0: OK, so you, you brought up one of the video games and I'm not well versed in video games, but you said Starcraft. Is that correct? Yes. I've been doing a little bit of reading, and StarCraft is one of those games that, um, you know, uh, esports competitions are built around. So, you know, when I hear your story, and I know that universities are starting esport teams and they're offering scholarships dedicated to esports, how dangerous do you personally think that is?
1: I think it's probably the most dangerous social experiment we're trying right now. And a big part of it is, you know, there was an an announcement last week that 16,000 high schools in the U S are, are now going to be bringing esports teams to their communities. And it's not that gaming is bad, you know, but 90% of people who play are fine, but there is that 10% who do struggle. And, and when they struggle, they struggle a lot. And I know our community, which has 50,000 members in 91 countries around the world. The majority of them are college students who got to college and now are, are failing out of college. And so when we look at now, parents are going to see all these kids justifying their gaming because they are going to get a scholarship to school and, they might, but the amount of competition, the amount of players, it's very, very fierce. And if you look at traditional sports, you know, hockey, to make the NHL is a very challenging thing. And to be a professional esports gamer is going to be even harder than that with the global competition. So I think it's dangerous.
0: Okay. I don't know what um, terminology to use, but how long have you been clean?
1: So I've been clean for about seven years. I haven't really gamed uh, for about that time. And it's not that I'm against gaming. I just No, for me, I would do the bare minimum in my life to maximize the amount of time that I could gain. So I would, you know, maybe work an entry-level job and that's it.
0: So you said that it became so bad that you actually wrote a suicide note. Is that when you realized you had to rehab or, you know, what happened from there personally for you?
1: I knew I needed to get help. And so I ended up reaching out, finding a counselor. He helped me kind of get a job and, and start to give me the sense of I had a second chance at life. And if I was really going to pursue this this opportunity to live again, I really wanted to do it by pursuing my goals and dreams and really seeing what I could make of my life. And I knew if I continued the game, I would just sit in my basement gaming all day and never actually do anything else. And I decided to quit gaming as a, as a first step in that.
0: So you looked for a counselor? Did you talk to your parents about it before you looked for a counselor?
1: So I asked my father to help me find a counselor that night when I came home and realized, you know, I, I need to get help and and. I asked him to find someone that that I could trust, and and that counselor was a huge impact on my life.
0: How hard was it to find someone that, you know, specialized in, you know, video game addiction?
1: I mean, nowadays, there's almost barely anyone. Back then, for me, I was not just struggling with a gaming addiction, but I was struggling with depression and anxiety. So this counselor really helped me with those. And for me, I I just knew that gaming was not something I could do, but nowadays— it's really hard there's you know a handful of people who specialize in this issue which is why it's so important that the World Health Organization actually classifies it because that will allow a lot of therapists and mental health professionals to get trained in this which then means they can actually help people who come into their clinics looking for it but right now they'll come in more for depression and not a, they and the that clinician might not even screen for gaming and they could be missing a huge of why they are depressed in the first place. So
0: that's why it's it's important that the World Health and Org- uh, World Health Organization takes this uh, initiative to just even if it is controversial but to talk about gaming disorder as an actual disease.
1: Absolutely. And you know, I I know disease has a lot of stigma and things like that. Ultimately, what I want to do is just make sure that people know that if you were struggling and you want help, there is help available and we should be training people on understanding what this issue is because I know there are Tens of thousands of people from all over the world coming online right now, asking for help. And if they're asking for help, why can't we do something? Why can't we just help them?
0: You're dedicating your life to the, your life to this. You've started Game Quitters. Tell us a little bit about that and what the response has been like.
1: Yeah, the response has been incredible. And, and I started Game Quitters because the response was so huge for me sharing my story. And, you know, today we have 50,000 members in 91 countries around the world. All over the place, and you know, there's 200 videos for free on YouTube. There's a respawn program that can help gamers kind of reset their life and and fix their brain. And we also have a ton of resources for parents. And I travel all over the world speaking. I just came back from Australia, that's why I'm here in Toronto, speaking, and you know, just trying to spread as much awareness as possible. But if you're out there and you want help, help is available.
0: So I understand that experts use MRAs and they look at brains and they find that there's a similarity between people addicted to drugs or alcohol and those who play a lot of video games. Do you, um, on your Game Twitter site, do you direct people to counselors and experts that can help them in their area?
1: Our site is for peers to come together to support each other. So it's peer support. It's people saying, look, I'm going through this and I'm here to share my experience and, and be able to share what's kind of worked for me and, and bounce ideas back and forth. And with a strong encouragement for them to seek professional support. The challenge is it's really hard to find that, but we do encourage it as much as possible. And I think that a lot of people won't go to get professional support until they feel uh, more comfortable around it. And so
0: are they worried they're not going to be taken seriously?
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, we I regularly hear from members who have gone to counselors and been laughed out of their office because the counselor said gaming addiction is not a real thing.
0: This could lead to them uh, fatalities. Really, You you were saying you were writing a suicide note.
1: It absolutely could. And beyond that, if someone searches for help and they aren't able to get it or they're just getting help that they know doesn't actually help, then it shuts down the the strong courage it took for them to actually mm-hmm. seek help in the first place. And so I think, you know, being open, being receptive to listen and hear, you know, what are people struggling with and what do they want help with goes such a far way.
0: There is a, is there a demographic at greater risk for video game addiction? You know, I, I told, told you about the listener that called in and said, my, my, Mother-in-law, she's 80. She's addicted.
1: I've seen everything from 12 years old all the way up to 50 plus, everything in between. I think the oldest actually we saw was like a 76-year-old woman. Generally, I know from my research that the community is about 90% male and the average age is about 23 years old. It becomes a problem in high school, but they're able to get away with it. But once they get to college, that's where they start to see negative impact because there's less parent supervision, more independence, harder classwork, more stress. The way they deal with that is they game. And that's where the cycle begins. But, you know, I was just in Australia spending time with a family friend who was a four-year-old. And, you know, I saw the impact on him when I gave him YouTube or I gave him a game to play. He, he almost went deaf when I was trying to talk to him. And I'm sure a lot of parents here are relating to that. And so I, I think it's essential that, you know, as I identified with him, I was not giving him YouTube. I was not giving him games. He's four years old. He can go play and make robots and do whatever else he wants. And so starting them way later, I think, is really important, especially for, for parents today.
0: So, you know, as a video game addict, uh, what should people be looking out for and what can they do? Because, you know, you talk about YouTube and you talk about screens. Well, they're all around. Uh, You know, I think parents right now uh, are dealing with, you know, a completely different parental landscape than any other generation, you know, because we have not had access to uh, screen time like we do now. So it's uncharted territory. What could they do? What should they do?
1: Well, they have to get as informed as possible about the issue. And so that's, you know, reading books, listening to research, you know, going on the website, reading resources. That's important. Connecting with other parents. We have a Facebook group where parents can come get involved. If you search Game Quarters, you'll find it. And you can also talk to each other and support. Beyond that, removing devices from the room. So no phones in the room, no games in the room, bring them out into a central area where you can be able to see. I think putting. Uh, you know, tracking devices on game or on, on the computer, putting apps that can limit certain apps and limit problematic websites and problematic games is really important. And be really aware of any deceptive tendencies, whether they're lying or they're stealing credit cards or spending your money in these games, those are huge red flags you want to be paying attention to. And I think as parents, you know you have to set strong boundaries. And you have to stay firm in them. I, I see so often the parents, they'll, they'll set a boundary, but then they give in right away. And But
0: a lot of them say, well, you know what, if you, they're not going to do it here, they're going to do it somewhere else, and then I'm not supervising. What do you say to that?
1: Help them become more of a leader to spend time in places where video games aren't even available. So have them go to the movies, have them go to a park, have them go outside, have them go play basketball at the YMCA. Get them in activities, especially group activities, where they where they can make friends who Those friends don't just game all the time. Martial arts, rock climbing, things like that.
0: Cam, you said that this video game addiction started when you were bullied and you tried to escape. You just wanted to go home and escape. Uh, Were your parents aware you were being bullied?
1: They didn't know until I dropped that on a TEDx stage a number of years ago. Really? Yeah, I hid it from them.
0: So you need to have conversations with your kids on a daily basis.
1: Yes. And you have to build rapport. So for instance, if you're a parent and you don't understand what game your kids are playing and you don't even know why they like those games, you know, those are places where you can start. You can learn about the game, learn about why they play. You can watch, you know, if they're playing Fortnite, type Fortnite gameplay into YouTube and you can watch different people playing and you can learn about it. And that will help you then be able to say, oh, you play StarCraft. Okay, What race do you like to play? Oh, you like to play Zerg. Okay, why do you play Zerg instead of Protoss? And you'll be able to start to have conversations with them to actually get to know you know, what what is it about these games that they like so much. And that really helps your child realize that you actually do care instead of you're stigmatizing the game or you're shaming them for playing it, which just creates disconnection. So you have to have strong boundaries and be Mm. firm in them, but also by doing it through trying to develop rapport and have these conversations outside of the house If you're trying to have a conversation with me right next to the computer, I'm going to say whatever you need me to say for this conversation to end so I can get back to my game. So instead, go to a Starbucks, go out for lunch, go out for dinner, somewhere outside of the house where then you can have these conversations where I can actually be a bit more present, go camping and on the second day, then talk to me about it. Try to be a bit strategic and I know Mm. it's a lot, but it makes a big difference.
0: You're in town for Permission to Think Freely. What exactly is that?
1: So I'm in town for, I'm speaking tomorrow, but Permission to Think Freely is coming up June 7th and I'm coming back to Toronto. And Permission to Think Freely is basically a show where it's it's art and music all coming together to talk about personal development, but in a way where it's through entertainment. And so it's a group of friends and I, and we put on a show about kind of understanding ourselves, understanding our thoughts, understanding you know the collective beliefs that society has and how we can all come together to Kind of move our world forward into a better place. Who's it for? It's it's for people who are interested in art, people who are interested in making the world a better place, millennials, people who just really want to come experience something really cool and and leave with something on their mind to really think about of, of how they could show up in the world differently.
0: You said you gave a TED talk. Can we find that online?
1: Yeah, if you search Camadera in YouTube, I have two TEDx, TEDx talks and a ton of content available. So go to gamequiz.com and, and you'll find all of it.
0: Cam, it's been really a pleasure to have you in studio. I'm glad that you insisted on coming in in person because we were going to usually we just do phone calls. And uh, it's nice to actually meet you in person. And congratulations on your, can I call it video game sobriety?
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't really use that term, not that I'm against it, Uh People in the community tend to use game-free okay. uh, for a certain amount of time, or they take the 90-day detox, but yeah, I, uh, I'm i really proud of where I am today, and, and I'll own that, and just trying to pay it forward as much as possible, and, and thank you so much for having well, me.
0: Well, thanks for being here. I'm sure you've reached a lot of people that had no idea uh, what video game addiction was all about, and there'll be some interesting conversations um, that they'll be having with their kids, so thanks for being here. Thanks so much. Cheer